This week I was reading a book from a man named Cornelius Plantinga, and he referenced a movie that I had never heard of, and a scene in that movie that kind of described what we're trying to do this morning. In that movie, a tow truck driver interrupts a gang of ruffians who are accosting a high price lawyer who's stranded down, who's stranded in his broken down car on the side of the road. The tow truck driver, whose name is Simon, pulls the leader of the gang aside and says, listen, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that. But this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. I agree with Simon. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Not just things in general, but things in particular. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Small things and big things, loud things and quiet things, old things and new things, everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Things close and things far, things across the world and things in our own living room. Everything is supposed to be different than the, thing, than the way it is here. Now we know this. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Not just a few things, everything, everywhere, for everyone, in almost every way, is supposed to be different than it is here. And this isn't just a 2020 thing. This is the truth of humanity ever since Eden. We all know this. There's something inside us that cries out when catastrophes and tragedies befall people that we know and don't know. And there's something inside that says, this is just wrong. Everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Christmas is the story of how everything is being, how everything is the process, the project of making everything right has begun. That's what Christmas is about. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to think together about Christmas, this Advent. Christmas is a holiday that people celebrate by exchanging gifts, but it's also something else. It's the beginning of something big. Christmas is the story of how everything will be made the way it's supposed to be. And we'll see it in four scenes over the next four weeks. We're going to visit a Christmas funeral today. Next week, we'll hear a Christmas promise. In two weeks, we're going to meet the Christmas dragon. And then we'll count along with the, the Christmas census. Now today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, open up to the very first book in the Bible. You don't have to know much about the Bible to know that the Bible begins with Genesis. And the most tragic book in the whole Bible is Genesis chapter 3. And so what we're going to do, just so you know what we're doing here, is we're jumping in on a eulogy. It's kind of a, the eulogy. God is officiating the first funeral in the history of mankind. And we're going to listen in on 
the eulogy. You see, God had made mankind, both men and women, in his own image and after his own likeness. He gave life and blessing to mankind, but mankind turned from God and instead chose curses and death. You see, they tried to take the place of God. That's what the serpent said would happen. Instead of living, they died. Being made from dust, they would one day return to dust. And so God pronounces a death sentence. But this death sentence is unlike any death sentence we've ever witnessed. God is not merely officiating this funeral as you would expect. Because He, we will meet today, He is the God who brings hope in the face of death. He is the God who gives us what we do not deserve. He is that kind of God. And that is what Christmas is all about. And so we're going to see today the gift that is announced in the midst of a funeral. I'm going to read beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. I'll read all the way down to verse 20. We're going to focus most of our time in verse 15. But I read all of it for context. Verse 14. God's word says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, this is, this is, this is not just an academic exercise, Lord. We don't want to just learn, Lord. We, wanna, we can go to school to learn. We can read books to learn. What we want to do is we want to meet with you. We want to experience you. Lord, we want to be able to have a bit of hope in this, in this year, in this life, and be reminded that Christmas, Christmas hearkens forth to a time where things will be made right. And I pray that we would walk out really believing that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Two points. The first one will be much longer than the second one, so fret not as I go and go and go on the first point. First, the funeral. 
Now, it all started out so well. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything was great. God created all things by the word of his power, and he said over and over and over again, he saw what he created, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. It was a land only of blessing, a land only of life. But then in Genesis chapter 3, the greatest tragedy that befell mankind happened. A snake slithered into the garden. Now, we don't know the name of the snake. If we just look at, the, at Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't tell us the name. But the New Testament later will tell us that this snake is actually the evil one or Satan. Sometimes called the devil or Beelzebub. He's got a lot of names. But the upshot is this snake slithered into paradise and had a conversation with the woman and Adam. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 records the dialogue. He, the snake, whom we know to be Satan, said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, this is one of the, the ploys of the evil one. God never said don't eat of any tree, right? He said just don't eat of one. And so you can see he's already tilting the table here. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows. What does God know? See, the serpent's about to tell him something that God is keeping from them, according to the serpent. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Do you hear what Satan promised? Prom Satan promised and said, listen, you eat this fruit that God doesn't want you to eat. God doesn't want you to eat this fruit. God doesn't want you to enjoy this fruit. God doesn't want you to have this fruit because God does not want you to be like him. He promised, Satan did, a way to divinity without serving God or anyone else. And this is, in some ways, the root of all human sin. We want to be our own God. We want to be the sovereign of our own lives, answerable, answerable to no one, worshipped by everyone. We want others to be accountable. We want justice for others, but let's not hold the same standard for ourselves. We want to be our own God. We want to be served. We don't want to serve. We want to speak and have it be done. What we, we want, when, what we want, when we want it, how we want it, we want to be our own God. And that desire that has, is in our hearts from the very beginning was put there here in Genesis chapter 3. Mankind has been looking for a way to be its own God ever since this day. And from that desire, all evil and disorder and tragedy came. And so God announces the death sentence and officiates a funeral. Death would now befall mankind for every generation for all time. God had created all things good, but now from Eden, death and disintegration would rule the day. Where humanity was designed to live forever, now humanity would die. Where humanity was made from earth by God and his own hands, designed to stay alive forever, humanity would die and return to 
the ground. Where humanity was designed to be joined to life, now humanity would be divided from life. Where humanity was designed to be divided from death forever, now they would be joined to death. Sin, as one author puts it, divides what God has joined and joins what God has divided. Now, after cursing the the serpent in verse 14, he comes to our verse, God does, in this funeral that we're going to focus the rest of our time on. Verse 15 is the first promise in the first half of the verse. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, that's not the reason we don't like snakes. Now, I don't like snakes. I don't. Straight up. Do not like snakes. But this isn't the reason that we don't like snakes. What God is doing is announcing that from now on, between the woman and all of her progeny and Satan, there will be a mutual hatred and enmity. That's what enmity means, a mutual hatred. It's a declaration of war. And this is a blessing. This is a blessing. As a, It might not seem like a blessing, but even today we can see some of this. Humanity as a whole, in the main, does not have an affinity for Satan. We want, at some level, not the way we should or in all the ways that it, we could, we want good to win out over evil. We want the right thing to overcome the wrong thing. And the reason is because God has put enmity between us and the evil one. Between the daughters and sons of Eve and the evil one. But then, then we get to the Yuletide announcement that's in our text. Now, if I had a string of lights to put in my Bible, I would put it in on verse 15 in the second half. Because here we can see blinkering lights of Christmas. Verse 15. Here come the lights. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you might think, there's not much to decorate there. Bruising a head and bruising a heel, that sounds like We have a mutual problem, and that's true, we do. But what's God saying here? Remember, we said at the beginning that everything shouldn't be this way. The reason it's this way is because sin entered the world. And we also said at the beginning, God is the one who brings gifts to a funeral. And what does he bring? What does he bring to this funeral? He brings the promise of someone who would come and bruise the head of this snake. Do you see that? Look at the end of verse, or the second half of verse 15. He shall bruise your head. He's speaking to the snake. And you shall bruise his heel. What's he saying? From this woman would come one who would be able to bruise the head of the serpent and destroy him and his works. Just as the serpent, we see this promise, just as the serpent was the agent of the undoing of the woman, the woman would now be the agent of the undoing of the serpent. From her would come one who can bruise the head of the serpent. 
Mankind was created to be the unique image bearers of God, created to radiate the likeness of God to all creation. And at Genesis chapter 3, that was corrupted. The paradise became a wasteland, a desolation. Mankind, who was designed to be a blessing from God, turned from God, and the capacity God gave mankind to think and feel and supervise and love and create and respond and act was completely corrupted. And this corruption became a pandemic of sin and death that would go on to infect all people all families, all cultures, all societies, all civilizations, all humanity. Now, in different ways, because sin has 10,000 faces, but it all has one result, death. Creation was broken and ruined and ravaged, plundered and began to wither. And this is why everything is supposed to be different than it is here. Now, imagine if with the sweat of your brow and at great financial risk, you build yourself a house. You build yourself a house exactly where you want it, exactly how you like it, furnished in the perfect way. Imagine you build this house and you leave and come back and find that somebody has destroyed your house with fire. How would you respond? Would you say, well, God bless you? Or would you say, what are you doing? A curse be upon you and your family, right? I mean, something like that with maybe different words. Maybe. That's how we would respond. But notice how God responds. Because this is what happened, and worse, to his good creation. See, we might say if somebody destroyed our house, I hope you get what you deserve. That's probably what we would say. God doesn't come and say to mankind, I hope you get what you deserve, because what does mankind deserve? Death and separation. But what does God give? He gives a promise at a funeral. So instead of saying, hey, listen, this is what you get. You turn from me, you die. You walk away from my blessing, you suffer the consequences. You hate me, I hate you back. That's what we would do. That's what we would all do. But God says, there's going to come one who will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. We have a promise cited here, a Christmas promise here. Mankind, though he deserved to face eternal darkness alone, mankind gets promise that one is coming who will fight on their behalf against the serpent. This is one who would fight with such ferocity that he would be bruised, but he would also bruise the serpent. So who does God promise at this funeral? Who could bruise the head of a serpent? Jesus. You see, the answer God gives to this broken world is not by removing himself or starting over, but by sending Jesus. Everything is supposed to be different than it is 
here. And so how does God respond? He says, I will give you my son. Now that, that is unexpected. That is unexpected right there. Christmas is the reminder that God does not give mankind what he deserves. Instead, he gives mankind his dearest possession. Mankind had rejected God, and God came all the closer in his son. God is not numb to the heartache and pain of this world. He does not sit back aloof and uncaring. He's not shaking his fist at us and saying, you get what you deserve. He says, I'll give you what you don't deserve. You see, the miracle of Christmas is that God responded to mankind who tried to take his place by sending his son to take their place. Jesus took the place of sinners. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the beginning of something big. This God who cares enough for us to send his son. You see, Jesus didn't die so that we could become lovable. God loved us. He so loved us that he sent his one and only son to roll back the power of death, to push back the shadow of depression and despair. You see, the mission of Jesus is to make everything different than it is here. This is the Christmas story. This is it. This is the beginning of the work God chose to do to make mankind who he has intended him to be. How? When Jesus comes and bruises, we read, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel. Now let's just be super, super, super pragmatic, okay? Imagine I had an anvil right here and someone approaches the stage with a sledgehammer and says, listen, I'm going to give you a real I'm going to give you a scary injury. You get to pick where it is. So you can either pick your head, put your head on the anvil, and I'll swing down with my sledgehammer, and we'll see what happens. Or you can pick your heel. Put your heel there, and I'll swing down with my sledgehammer and see what happens. Now, which would you pick? I would rather limp around for a while, or maybe the rest of my life, than have my life end with a sledgehammer meeting my head here on this stage. But that's what we see here, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus had his heel bruised. Now, we know looking at the New Testament that that bruising was serious, right? He died and rose again. So the pain that was inflicted on Jesus by Satan was real and significant, and it was a real bruise, and it affected him, but he overcame it. Let's think about the bruise that's going to show up on the snake's head. He's not going to overcome it. That's the spoiler right there. See, Satan bruised Jesus' heel. He, over, he opposed Jesus at every turn during his ministry on earth. He incited the religious leaders who should have welcomed the Savior to reject him. 
Satan incited the Roman guard to arrest Jesus. Satan incited Jesus' closest followers to run from him in his hour of need. Satan incited the high priest to condemn Jesus. Satan incited Pontius Pilate to decree that Jesus be crucified. Satan incited the guards to beat and mock Jesus. Satan incited the crowds to heap derision on Jesus. And he died, but didn't stay dead. His injury, though real, was pushed back. Now, if that's what it looks like to be injured in the heel, what do you think it looks like for Satan to be injured in the head? It's not looking good for him. Jesus, though he was struck, lives. One day, Satan will be struck and die. And he's not coming back. See, this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about about the beginning of the grand project of God coming and saying, I'm going to fix it. Everything is not the way that it should be. And what he does is he doesn't just leave the world to careen toward death and darkness forever, what he does is he sends his son. You see, the first problem mankind has was that they sinned and turned away from God, wanting to take the place of God. So the mission of Jesus was to atone for those sins, to draw men and women to himself. He wanted to be able to offer a way of life. You see, we all carry evil around inside of us, and the problem that we have is how can you destroy the evil inside of us without destroying us? And Jesus says, I've got a way. What he does is he comes and dies, has his heel bruised, so that we might be able to live forever. See, this is the first point. This is the first piece of his mission. It doesn't end there. The desolation we live in will one day be a paradise again. Mankind will be restored to God. Our, ca- our capacity for evil will be forever gone. Our inclination to do wrong will be cut off forever. God will restore mankind to his capacity to think and feel and supervise and love and create and respond and act in the way that he intended. Christmas tells us that evil will not always have its way. And that one day, things will be different than they are here. That's the funeral. Now we see Adam's response, which is the faith. Now, everybody knows that the woman's name is Eve, but if you have, were reading this book for the very first time and you're reading Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, in those two chapters, she is not named. She's called the woman over and over. That's a generic title for her. Sometimes she's called the helper. But she doesn't have a personal name. She's not christened Eve, not yet. And that happens in verse 20. It's real abrupt. Like, look at verse, I mean, God's, I mean, if you have an ESV, you have this high prose with, you know, different indentations and such throughout. And then all of a sudden, boom, the man called his wife's name Eve, right? You have God saying, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. You will return to the ground, and for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. And then the Moses, the narrator, says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. That's just like, whoo, this big non sequitur, right? Eve means life giver. That's why he calls her Eve. Now think about this. Eve was the one who was deceived by Satan. Adam was standing there too, but Eve was the one who ate first and gave to her husband. Why doesn't Adam call her death bringer? Because he's looking forward. He's looking forward. He's looking forward to one who would come and crush the serpent. And so she would be the mother of all living, and she would be the mother of the living one who would come and crush the serpent. Notice here that this response in faith, Adam says, no longer am I going to think of you as the, as the one who's brought death. No, you're the one who brings life, Eve. And I'm going to call you Eve. Every time I see you, I'm going to call you Eve because what you've done is you are the beginning of the promise where God will make all things right. Though we've made a horrible mess of things, he's beginning to fix it. And that starts with you. And if you're a Christian... Think about, well, first of all, if you're not a Christian, you, you might think, man, I've done all kinds of stuff that disqualifies me from forgiveness. Listen, I guarantee you, you've not done anything like Eve. And she gets a new identity and a new name. You are not, or you need not be, your sin. You and your sin are not one. You, too, can be one who follows life. See, if you don't know what it is to follow Jesus, talk to a, a Christian friend. Ask them what it looks like. Why you should have hope personally this Christmas. And if you think, well, because I've done too many things, I can't be forgiven, you're thinking wrongly. You're not understanding what Christmas is about. Christmas, Christmas is the promise that God, God treats people better than we deserve. Where we would expect death and punishment, we receive life and blessing. And Christians, you see Adam responded? He responded. Even though he had messed up things royally, he responded in faith and trusted. You know what? These, the way things are, are not good. it's not the way it's always going to be. One day, death will be rolled back. Sin will be destroyed. Corruption will be undone. One day, one day, that sense that everything is supposed to be different than it is here, one day will come, and that day will be here, and there will be a day when we can say, ah, now it's right. Now, things are supposed to be the way they are. As Christians, we can believe that, and Christmas tells us, just as we can look back in faith and believe what God has done in time, now we can look forward and say, one day, 
He's going to fix and make all things right. And that statement Simon said from the beginning, when he says everything is supposed to be different than it is here, that will be untrue and wrong. And that day is coming. That is the message of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I ask that you would help all of us here as Christians to be able to grasp this reality and know that that sin and darkness and decay, this is what we're living in the midst of now, but that is not our ultimate reality. Lord, I pray that you would help us to gather hope and faith from the reality that we serve a God who brings life and, and hope and grace in the midst of death and darkness and despair. You do what we don't expect. You do better than we could even ask for. And so, Lord, I pray for those here who are feeling down, do better than they can ask for. I pray also for those here who are not following you. I pray that they would not put, these, put those, that desire, that thought off. Lord, I pray that the, the reality that things are not the way they should be, I pray that that would gnaw at them and eat at them and bother, bother them. And I pray that they would turn to you. Regardless, Lord, I pray that we would, I pray that we would all enjoy the hope and life of Christmas this year. Jesus, thank you for coming and bruising the head of the serpent. Thank you for one day when we all gather around and you take the serpent and finally, ultimately, destroy him by throwing him in the lake of fire. We look forward to that day. But in these days, help us to enjoy Christmas. It's in your name that we give thanks and we pray. Amen.